This is M.I.P. With Masamela Mafumo. Mark Thompson. Get woke. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Once again, folks, glad to be with you on a Thursday for another edition of Thursday Coast with the founder of Daily Coast, the largest online progressive community, the founder of Civics with the Q. We're going to talk about some civics polling momentarily and also the host of the podcast, The Brief. How are you today, Marcos, this Thursday? Yeah, doing great. Doing awesome. Um, Four weeks, less than four weeks for the election. So crunch time. It is indeed. We need to be. We need to be up into it, folks. I hope you're encouraging your loved ones to get out to vote and have a voting plan. I want to go back to something you said last week because I don't want to. That shouldn't be glossed over. If I if I heard you correctly, you said that amongst was it white male voters, there was a change in Trump's favorability, according to the civics poll, civics with a Q dot com a change in Trump's favorability after the Mar-a-Lago search. Amongst white independent male voters. Yes. So if you look at, if you look at the, uh, at our civics polling of Donald Trump and it's, it's public civics with a Q.com. If you look at Donald Trump's favor, uh, favorability ratings over the last six years, since we started polling him, Ignoring the primary, the 2016 primary, but, or I'm sorry, the 2000, uh, um, no, yeah, 2016 primary. Once he was elected president, the Trump's approval ratings hardened. And if you were to look at the chart, it looks, it looks like two parallel <laughs> tracks, right? Like nothing moved the numbers. You think, well, this is going to finally damage Donald Trump. Like nothing damaged Donald Trump. It was, it was rock solid. And it's been that way. Until the Mar-a-Lago rate, uh, rate, that is the first time we've seen any demographics starting to sour on daily co- on on the civics uh, tracking poll, and it was white independent male voters. For the first time, he has lost a significant percent of that vote. And our theory, I mean, we don't know for a hundred percent for sure, but our theory is that 
the these are voters that actually care about national security. And Donald Trump is really, really um, starting to see some damage from revelations that he sold, that he stole top secret documents and was stashing them at Mar-a-Lago. He's probably stashing them in all his properties, Mark. I don't know why the FBI hasn't raided uh, some of his other properties because you know he's got crap in all of them. Yeah, uh, yeah it's, 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 it's taking a hit. Uh, we've also seen some public polling that suggests that Republicans in general are starting to lose some ground with college-educated white male suburban voters. We know female college-educated white suburban voters have already been sort of wishy-washy the last couple cycles. Their male counterparts are finally starting to get wishy-washy. And I don't think we're going to get them this election cycle. It usually takes a few cycles for people to, to finally change their party, um, their voting preferences. But I, I suspect that, um, that Mar-a-Lago may have also had, this may have been sort of the straw that broke that camel's back. So even, so it, the party itself, that, and that's, that's white college educated male voters, not just, you, you mean Republican college educated? Yeah. That, okay. Yeah. I mean, male voters are generally Republican across the board. When you're looking at male whites, they are very, very Republican. It's a, it's a, it's a two, three to one, no, sorry, two to one. Democratic, ah, I can't speak. Male white voters are a two to one Republican constituency, generally speaking. They'll be up in the 55, 60, 65% Republican support, generally speaking. And it's been that way for several cycles now. And so when we see any portion of that white male constituency start to waver, and so in our civics polling, we don't, we don't, we don't poll by suburbs. So we don't have a suburban versus rural versus urban split. We're just seeing white male um, independents and they're starting to sour on Donald Trump. And then we've seen other polling that shows that suburban college-educated white men are, are souring on the Republican Party in general. So they're not exactly the same thing, but I suspect there's a bunch of overlap. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's... And, and those numbers... I mean, as we look at them, they may not seem like big numbers, but he didn't win by big numbers. Um, he didn't lose by big numbers either. So it's these these small numbers that could make that difference, especially if it's independence, right? If, if we think of, we, if, and I know how you and I feel about some independence that we're not into, people are really independent. Uh, <laughs> but um, they can, those who pretend to be independent, can be those swing voters in a lot of these states. Yeah, so, you know, Bernie Sanders supporters are independent, right? They don't want to say they're Democrats. Uh, Tea Party supporters are independent. They don't want to say they're Republican. So it's it, independent just with a catch-all for we don't like the dominant party, but most of them are going to vote for one of the two dominant parties. It's just the way it works out in practice. Um, these are Trump-supporting uh, white male independents that are starting to say that they disapprove of Donald Trump. So it's an erosion of his support amongst his supporters. And, and like I said, and 
why this is so spectacular is that nothing has moved in six years of us tracking Donald Trump. And we're, we've seen an eight point, seven, eight point, depends where it lands today, but it's about a seven or eight point drop in support amongst those college, not college, sorry, white independent supporters. I'm going to bring it up just to, as we talk. Um, I, I saw, I'm looking at it now. I saw the seven. It's exactly seven. Exactly right. Um, male, white male independence. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a seven point drop. Yeah. And as you look, I mean, I'm not kidding, right? It's, it, it, it's a pretty straight line. I mean, there's little jaggeds up and down, but that's just flow in the margin of error, but they like them, right? These white independent male voters like Donald Trump, and it has just been catastrophic. Uh, there was a, there was a drop in their support after the attack on the Capitol. So that was, that was sort of the big first hit they had, but it was still pretty even until the Mar-a-Lago rate, rate. And now we're seeing that ginormous shift and that's not normal. We don't see that kind of shift in polling, generally speaking. People don't change their opinions. Yeah. And they, and they have after Mar-a-Lago that, that, that makes a big difference. That is significant. Georgia. Uh, we're hearing, I mean, again, we're a month out. What is going to happen? Many of the polls have still a very close race between Raphael, Reverend Warnock, Reverend Raphael Warnock, and running back Herschel Walker. And, uh, of course, Herschel is having all of his problems, you know, with the controversy. Although I think that constituency is going to give him a pass on that. They don't care how many abortions he paid for. And, we had a clip last week uh, with Dana saying that it didn't matter. They want to control the Senate. Okay, be that as it may. Um, but it looks like the polls suggest some ticket splitting. The Warnock may win, but Stacey Abrams may lose. That's kind of what the what has been coming out consistently. What are you? What is your understanding, or what are you hearing about what's going on in Georgia? Yeah, it that that sounds about right. From from the polling, we we. We've seen that Senator Raphael Warnock is about three to four points ahead of Herschel Walker, uh, with uh, Warnock being in, in the high 40s. So we haven't seen a lot of point with him hitting 50, the magical 50% mark. Then we have, generally speaking, we see polls with uh, Governor Kemp, the Republican, Probably around 49 to 52 point, 52 percent. And Stacey Abrams about, you know, three to four points behind the, there are, there are some outliers in, you know, various places, you know, some that show Abrams doing much better. Some that show Kemp winning by, I think 10 points. I saw one poll, um, yesterday and, um, but generally speaking, you know, it's never a good idea to look at the poll you like the most or you, you know, be freaked out at the poll, the poll that looks the, the worst, you know, good idea is to look at the aggregate. And the aggregate is about um, Warnock up about three, four and Stacey Abrams down about three, four. The interesting dynamic, usually the parties are, are pretty, pretty um, parallel, right? I mean, you look at the governor and a, and a Senate candidate. And you would expect them in these highly partisanized times to, to track, roughly speaking. But there's a couple of things here that are happening. One, let's just, Georgia is, is it's a blue state by a sliver, right? By 
12,000 votes. This is not, this is about as competitive as the state. And in our, in the best, with all our effort at a presidential ticket, we barely eked out a victory. So this is certainly not a, a blue state in any, in any, um, real sense of the word. So it's, it's always going to be, it was always going to be a, a dogfight. Now, um, Walker is a exceptionally bad candidate and Brian Kemp, the Republican governor, is probably one of the few Republicans that has been able to escape Trump's gravitational pull. So he, Trump went all out, you know, went all out to, to defeat him in the primary and Kemp won that primary by about 30 points. So he's not all in on the big lie. And he can does present a more moderate uh, persona to those college-educated white suburban women that are probably the swing vote in in Georgia. Now, I'll say a couple of things. One is that Democrats in Georgia have a fantastic ground game. We saw that not just in the presidential race in 2020, but also in the runoffs that that delivered the victory for both Warnock and for um, for uh, Ossoff, Senator Ossoff. So we know we have the ability to win on the ground in the way that we didn't before. So there's that piece. And the ground game can be worth about three to four points. And so even as you look at that aggregate of the Abrams race, it's within the margin of the ground game. The other thing is we're, we're seeing record, record uh, voter registration amongst young voters, um, particularly under the age of 25. They're very, very, very motivated by abortion and Republican tax on gay rights and even the gun issue. And those people, um, they are just as hard to pull as sort of the nihilistic Trump voter that doesn't answer poll, you know, polls. So there is a question about whether the polling this cycle is actually under, um, performing for Democrats, that Democrats will do better than the polling. And this is not just me trying to cope with the situation. I mean, again, we've done, you know, we've talked about this before. We can point to the special elections. We've had 11 special elections this year in the House. And in the six of them that have taken place after the Supreme Court's decision in Dobbs, Democrats have outperformed Joe Biden's numbers in 2020 by six points on average. Polling's showing nothing of that sort. So there is a question. Usually, you know, people will say, well, okay, but mature, I mean, special elections are different dynamics. Okay, sure. That's fair. But those dynamics historically have hurt Democrats. Democrats are the ones that don't turn out in the middle of the summer for a low turnout special election. It's usually Republicans that have no problem getting their people to the polls, and they didn't. Their, their, their turnout was fine. Our turnout was just much higher. So this is all to say that Georgia is in that, it is within the realm of who the heck knows anything can happen. So we better work our butts off because really the team that works the hardest is going to win those races. Neither Warnock nor Abrams are destined to win or lose given on what we're seeing right now. They are both, uh, they can both lose, they can both win and it's our job to do everything we can to push them over that finish line so that they both win. We were looking at this University of Georgia poll 
Um, and you mentioned, you know, we should look at all the polls and the aggregates. It's got Kimba by 10 points, so that makes it questionable. But here's the, the other thing. I don't know whether you noticed. Amongst 18 and 29-year-olds, uh, Kemp is 51.7%, according to the University, University of Georgia. Uh, and Abrams is 37.7%. They must have only asked um, 18 of them. <laughs> <laughs> and then... And then uh, 30 to 44, it's Abrams 50.6%, per, 50. Kemp 39%. How does 18 to 29, I mean, how, how more 18 to 29 year olds voting for Brian Kemp in Georgia than, than 30 to 44 year olds? I mean, that's just. Uh, it, it doesn't make sense. So um, I, I'm not going to give you our top lines in civics data because it's it's uh it's not a public number but i can tell you that in our abrams and kemp matchup we have cc abrams winning 62 32 that is what the 18 to 34 bracket looks like just generally speaking those are not crazy numbers it's two to one democratic so any poll that has that has <laughs> has Kemp winning the eighteen to thirty four? It's immediately it's immediately suspect, and and it, you know what happens. And this is this is um, endemic a lot of polling. It's that it's just a small sample size. They're not they're not reaching young voters by calling landlines. I mean, who's who's got it? So maybe they maybe maybe they've uh, they've gotten some cell phone numbers. And again, who's answering? My my kids don't answer cell phone calls, right? I got to text them. It's just. They don't pick up a phone. So, um, you have to work off. And all is made. You know how many of us, because I'm sure you, all of us are getting more spam alerts. All the cell phones now say something is spam or something else or something you don't recognize. How many people yep. even answer calls? You know? No, so it, it's tough. And I, I don't say that to, to cherry pick this poll and say, but it's just all polling has that challenge. But immediately, like, if you're going to say that, that, Kemp is winning the youth vote. No, no Republican is winning the youth vote. Even if you go to places like Mississippi and stuff, Republicans ain't winning the youth vote. They're winning everybody else. They're not winning the youth. So the, a lot, one of the big questions is how many of those young voters are going to turn out? And historically in midterm elections, not a lot of them do. If we can get, if we can get Republic, if we can get youth vote to turn out at sort of 2020 rates, then we're going to win a lot of races. And I actually think Stacey Abrams might actually be able to pull it off. So even a lot of this polling is assuming a, a major drop-off in the youth vote. And there are lots of indications that that drop-off may actually not happen or may not be as steep as an atypical midterm election. So it's one of the wild cards. Like Young people voting is a big one. And I will say that, that Dobbs, the abortion issue, is hugely motivating, hugely motivating for young voters. And we're seeing that in the voter registration numbers, and we're seeing that in uh, in um, uh, how many people are signing up to volunteer. And you know, I, I talked to Christina uh, Sintun Ramirez. She is the executive director of Next Gen America, and their their job is to um, is to uh, motivate, turn out, register young voters uh, on in key battleground states, Georgia being one of them. And, and she was talking about how they've, uh, they're getting close to meeting their 2020 numbers in, you know, in activating young voters. That was a presidential year. So there is, there is a lot of, there's a lot of signs that, that, um, the youth vote's not going to be as, as 
non-responsive as they are in a typical midterm in as much as you would expect. And Mark, it's not just, it's not just abortion. I mean, the, um, the, uh, it's marijuana legalization or, or decriminalization and pardons. It's, uh, it's, um, student debt relief. And so there's a big argument, you know, it's like, all right, so buying a double case have delivered for you. If you don't deliver back, then you can't argue that people don't listen to the young, you know, to young voters. And, and I think that there's actually certain resonance. I'm seeing it a lot in, on TikTok. I'm seeing it a lot in the circles that my kids hang out in. So I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. We'll see. <laughs> you know, none of this is determinative. I'm not making a prediction. What I'm saying is that the signs are actually good. Uh, as we've been saying for a year, that this is not a traditional midterm election, that the dynamics are different. And any polling or any punditry that assumes that this is a typical midterm election is bound to be wrong. Yeah, um, well, that's good. I just can't see 18, 29 years in light of everything that's happening. Um, yeah. Doing that. And, and you mentioned, like, we didn't touch on this. Biden kind of gave us an October surprise, did he not, with him pardoning you know, those who are federally convicted for use or possession of marijuana. That, that was a, as he would say, a big effing deal. Yeah. I can you just imagine that, that this country wasted tax dollars on going after freaking pot smokers and small time dealers. I mean, it, it, that's a stain on our country. And I'm glad that we're, we're moving state by state and now, you know, with Biden's action into redressing those ills, those wrongs and just treating it like <laughs> what it really is, which is, you know, the chill version of alcohol, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, nobody's, nobody's pot smoking and, and killing people behind the wheel of the car or, or, uh, beating their wives after, after smoking a joint. So it's, um, I live in Berkeley, so, <laughs> you know, culturally. It's uh, it, it hasn't been a big deal forever, and uh, I don't smoke pot personally. It doesn't doesn't agree with me. But uh, the idea that this is something that should be regulated and that we should be expending law enforcement resources on it is it's always been sort of ludicrous. And so I'm glad we're we're finally stepping away from that. Indeed, no, that is that is very significant and and very important. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off 
my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. Um, Biden talked with Jake Tapper, was yesterday, the day before. He says he still feels he can beat Trump a second time. So I guess he's he's saying he's gonna he's gonna run. Do we have a choice? No, no. It, it's I I I wish people. You know, I spoke at a class at uh here at Cal. Um, I spoke at a big political science class and. I did question and answer and everybody wanted to ask if, if Biden's running again. And I, to me, the notion that this is even questionable is, is ludicrous. Of course he's running again. You never surrender, you, you know, all other things considered the biggest advantage you can have in a presidential election is the advantage of incumbency. I mean, Trump was at 35% approval rating and he almost won because the power of incumbency is so freaking massive. So why would we surrender that and then render by a lame duck for the next few years? It, it just makes no sense. I mean, if, if he wanted to go, the way to do it then is to win re-election and then resign and then have the VP, whether it's Harris, if she's, you know, if she's still around and then do that. But the idea that he would run for re-election is, is, would be the worst thing Democrats can do to, to themselves, uh, would be that. And then you have, I know, I know. Bernie Sanders is making noise about a primary challenge. That, that would be the second dumbest thing we could do from a uh, self-sabotage standpoint. So I hope he's just being, you know, his usual cantankerous self and not actually considering challenge or incumbent president weakening him before Trump or DeSantis uh, takes a whack at him because Bernie Sanders ain't winning shit. So, um, so I really hope that I mean, it would be helpful, honestly, Mark, if Biden said, yeah, of course I'm running for re-election and then put all that to rest. Well, we will, we will see ultimately what that decision is. I, apparently, we talked a little bit about Ohio, but before we go, um, big debate in Ohio this week. The, the viral soundbite was this one. Like just a few weeks ago in, in Youngstown, on the stage, uh, Donald Trump said to J.D. Vance, all you do is kiss my ass to get my support. He said that. That's bad because that means J.D. Vance is going to do whatever he wants. Mitch McConnell's given him $40 million. He's going to do what he wants. And Peter Thiel gave him a $15 million. He's going to do what he wants. And here's the thing that's most troubling about this lack of courage is that after Trump took J.D. Vance's dignity from him on the stage in Youngstown. J.D. Vance got back up on stage and said, start shaking his hand, take a picture saying, hey, aren't we having a great time here tonight? I don't know anybody I grew up with. I don't know anybody I went to high school with that would allow somebody to take their dignity like that and then get back up on stage. We need leaders who have courage to take on their own party. And I've proven that. And he was called an ass kisser by the former president. Like just a <laughs> So there's that. But then also, apparently on Fox the other night, J.D. Vance still won't renounce uh, Putin in Ukraine. Yeah. Yeah. How, 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 what is that? But, but since I raised it, address, if you don't mind, to the what you what impact Ukraine might even have in the in, in four weeks. I mean, is are people going to be also looking at crazy Republicans who won't renounce the war? When they vote, so I, 
No, I don't. I don't. I don't think the war is going to have any domestic electoral impact. In, in fact, the war is one of the reasons that energy prices are so high and inflation is higher, and so it actually works against us in uh, in electorally. Unfortunately, it creates some of those economic headwinds that Democrats are, you know, pushing against. JD Vance is just he he. He's not as high profile as, as maybe Doug Mastriano and Dr. Oz and Herschel Walker as really, really, really bad Republican candidates, but he's up there and he may, he may be, he actually has a real case to be made, whether he might be the worst candidate of all. I mean, he, he, he's been vacationing in Italy. He's not on the campaign trail. Like he, he just assumed I won the primary. Ohio is a red state. Trump won it by eight points. I don't have to do anything to work at it. And so Tim Ryan has been plugging away. He's raised a crap ton of money. J.D. Vance has raised, I don't know, last I saw he hadn't even raised a million dollars, which for a Senate candidate is, is political malpractice. And um, Peter Thiel's not funding him anymore. I mean, he, he, he got him to the primary and that was that. So Mitch McConnell is actually on the air trying to bail him out. Problem is that all that the super PAC can do is is um, is buy TV ads, and even with the twenty eight million dollars that Mitch McConnell has thrown into Ohio, the uh, Tim Ryan has raised more money. And this is a crazy thing: for every dollar that for every um, wait, how do I put this? When you are a candidate, you're required to get the cheapest price on advertising. If you're a super PAC, they gouge you, right? They, and especially before an election, it's the highest possible price. The price disparity right now for every dollar that Tim Ryan spends for a TV ad, Mitch McConnell's super PAC has to spend four bucks. It is, I, we've never even seen that kind of disparity, right? So the amount of, of TV ad, it's still heavily geared towards, towards Tim Ryan. He's dominating that. But on top of that, He's got a ground game he's funding. There, there's a whole machine that's in place that m is actually making Ohio competitive. Now, am I saying Tim Ryan's going to win? You know, I think Tim Ryan wins. We won a bunch of stuff and he's, you know, he's the icing on the cake at that point. He's, he's, he's not going to decide whether we have the Senate or not. That's going to be, that's going to be Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and North Carolina. Those are the states that are going to sort of decide that. But. Ohio, Florida, these are like the edge case states. And um, if we can win those while ho holding our, our incumbent in Nevada, which is tough, Georgia's tough, Arizona, less and less tough, then we, we can have not only a, a, a filibrew proof Senate, but we can actually even have a little bit of a, of a cushion there. You know, it'd be greatest instead of having 52 and being right on the edge, we get 53, 54. So that is that is within the realm of possibility, which is which is really shouldn't be the case. But that just shows you how bad JD Vance is. And um, in politics, it's 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 still kind of amazing. You, you do have to show up. Candidates that don't that take things for granted. And the, the famous example of this is when Scott Brown won the special election in Massachusetts uh, after after Obama had been elected. I don't know if y'all remember, you know, we had 60 seats in the Senate and Kennedy died. And so we had the special election and uh, it was Martha Coakley for the Democrats and, uh, and Scott Brown for the Republicans. And she didn't, she, she thought this is, this is Massachusetts. It's heavily democratic. This is, 
Ted Kennedy's seat. I'm good. Like, I don't need to actually work at it. And Scott Brown actually worked at it and won the race. And we lost that filibuster-proof Senate majority. And it made, you know, from day from the, from the beginning, it was a problem for, for Obama. So we know from history that even your state can't bail you out if you're just assume people are going to hand you the election. And so you have, we have a good candidate in Tim Ryan. I mean, Mark, Tim Ryan's going to be somebody who's going to piss us off. He's, he's going to be one of those. So let's not sit there and pretend that he's, he's Sherrod Brown. No, he's not Sherrod Brown. He's, he's going to be a pain in the ass, but he's going to get us a filibuster proof majority. And he's sure better than JD Vance. Um, and JD Vance is still to this very day. doesn't seem to be taking the race very seriously. So we have a an opportunity in Ohio that that normally like we shouldn't have, we shouldn't have had, and even the twenty eight million dollars that Mitch McConnell has put into the state, and I think JD, uh, I think Tim Ryan just said forty million, so maybe he's put in more money that I didn't that I didn't um, that I missed, but that's money that could have been spent in Georgia against against Warnock. That's money that could have been spent in Arizona. That's money that could be shoring up Wisconsin and North Carolina and Pennsylvania and could be attacking our senator in, in Nevada, right? That's a lot of freaking money that is being spent in a state that should have been easy hold for the Republicans. So this Ohio is actually a really good story. Even if we lose, uh, it's, it's, it's having an impact in the overall battle for the Senate. But hopefully we win. So just as I brought up, what's one about here? This is just a glimpse of what he's been saying about Putin and Ukraine. Um, you have at one point said you didn't really care what happened to Ukraine. Where do you stand now? The former president, Donald Trump, has said time to get to the negotiating table. President Biden says that we have to give them everything they need. Which camp are you in? Uh, I'm very clearly in the let's get uh, excuse me to the negotiating table. More thing. One of the things that really was crazy that Tim Ryan said last night, it didn't get a whole lot of attention as he said it. We needed to respond to a nuclear attack by Vladimir Putin in a very forceful way. What, is it, what does that mean? Does that mean we're launching nuclear weapons ourselves and then we're ending human civilization? The only thing, the only responsible thing to do with this more of that is to try to bring this conflict to an end before it gets to the point of nuclear weapons. You can believe, as I do, that the Ukrainians are brave people, that Vladimir Putin is a bad guy without pushing United States on the brink of nuclear war. What Biden, what Tim Ryan, what these guys are doing is incredibly irresponsible. Okay. Um, that, that's JD on on what's going on in Ukraine. Since you brought, yeah. go ahead. You want to, you want No, I was going to say, if you want to talk irresponsible, if the idea is that a nuclear armed country can waltz in to any of its neighbors by threatening nuclear war, that completely destroys our international sort of global order. What's stopping China from marching into uh, uh, Nepal? What's stopping India right. from marching into Bangladesh? I mean, it, it completely, this idea that because you have nuclear weapons, you are untouchable. Um, Biden is absolutely true. So is Tim Ryan that you don't, you, I mean, there's no need to threaten a nuclear response. You just make sure that Russia knows that any resort to nuclear weapons, and to be very clear, the only reason Russia is threatening nuclear, the use of tactical nuclear bombs right now is because it's losing the war. Because they, mighty Russia, is losing a war against Ukraine. So uh, they have to understand 
And we've seen time and time again that Putin responds to to people. And if you if you appease him, he'll try to get more. If you stand up straight, like from the beginning of the war, Mark, you may people may have forgotten this already. Putin said anybody that arms uh, Ukraine is a party to this to this uh, war and is under threat of of uh, escalating this to the to the point of no return. There's you know euphemisms for nuclear war, right? Tone of no return. We've been arming Ukraine, and what what Putin done about it? Not what can he do? Not he's not going to actually love. So to be very clear, the the contingency plans right now are, are that if if Russia uses nuclear tactical tactical nuclear bombs, which are small small, not like a city destroying, but you know to to hit a troop emplacement for that the response would be a a conventional attack, probably to destroy Russia's black fleet, you know black sea fleet. It would be conventional. There's no, there's no talk right now of a nuclear nuclear reaction, particularly small nukes like that. Um, there's no need. I mean, we can we can wreak plenty of destruction in Russia to Russia's war machine without resorting to that. So there is a fear mongering where a lot of the pro Putin crowd are saying, "Oh well, well, we don't want nuclear war, so we gotta appease. We got we gotta we gotta surrender." occupied Ukrainian lands to murderous Russians. And we see every time right now, Ukraine has retaken their lands. And every time they push Russia back, we find mass graves, mass executions, uh, hundreds, if not thousands of war crimes. So why would we concede that? Because somebody is threatening nuclear war. And if, if that works, what's stopping Putin from keeping on doing it to its neighbors? You know, they march in and if you do anything about it, we're going to, we're going to nuclear war. So to me, that's what's crazy is, is, is nuclear appeasement. And we've had a policy. It, it, it's worked well globally where we have this mutual assured destruction. You use nuclear weapons. It's over. That's what's going to stop Putin. Putin doesn't want to die. He doesn't want to see his country go up in flames. So sure. you just make it very clear. And again, you don't have to specifically say we'll nuke you back, but you say there will be dire consequences and then Putin's got to think like okay this is not as easy a call um you mentioned bernie sanders the sanders campaign i'm not sorry the correct correction forgive me folks that's not accurate the sanders institute has fired tulsi gabbard as one of its fellows uh that is the latest news uh from the sanders institute so just want to let um let people know that, and that's probably a good thing. Uh, lastly, you mentioned OPEC. What is what is OPEC and the potential of rising gas prices going to do in, in 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 the days leading up to this election? It's at this point, I think that's all baked in. I think the gas prices are baked in. They're they're off their lows, and the the anybody that's going to vote. For a Republican, or it's going to vote on the basis of gas prices. It's, it's already, they're going to vote Republican. So what's been amazing as this election has, has sort of evolved is that gas prices, inflation, it's not that they're not relevant issues. It's that the, um, they had, they sort of had been overcome by, by abortion more than anything else. The abortion issues really shaken things up and, and I've talked, I think I've, we've talked before about that single issue voter. Republicans have the single issue voters on guns and on abortion. 
And they, they'll turn out, they'll even vote for Donald Trump, even though Donald Trump doesn't know family values. Uh, he doesn't even remotely knows what that might look like being one of those morally repugnant humans in this planet. But they'll vote for Donald Trump because they knew for their single issue, which was abortion, that was, that was the, that was the vote they needed to, to take. And it, it worked out for them. So, um, we haven't had that. And I think we're finally seeing this cycle. We're seeing the rise of our own single issue voter. Those who say, okay, yeah, maybe I don't like Joe Biden and maybe I don't like the price of gas and maybe inflation is hurting me, but I want my right to choose. And that's the only issue that matters. And the, um, if indeed this single issue choice voter, maybe even gun voter on the, you know, arises on the left, it has the potential to dramatically reshape future elections. So this is something that I'm really closely tracking because they, Republicans, they have 35% locked in every cycle. These people who are going to vote for no matter who they, they could put up Dr. Oz and they may not like them and they don't. Republicans do not like Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, but they know that Dr. Oz is a Republican and that's all that matters. Like we, we haven't had that. We maybe we're maybe about 15, 20% you know, off the top that will vote no matter what. I'm not saying who they vote for. I'm saying that they'll turn out and vote. Our voters are, are very uh, fickle. And that's why we have big drop-offs in midterm elections. And that's why um, states like Texas should be blue states by demographics, but aren't because our people just don't register. They don't vote for a variety of reasons. Some of them Republicans are suppressing it. Some reasons are just uh, apathy. Some of it is poverty. Some of it is cultural. I mean, there's lots of reasons people may not register and vote, right? But they don't have that problem. And they're buttressed by the single issue vote that will turn out for every election, no matter what. We may actually be in the precipice of, of building our own core single issue voter and uh, around abortion and on a smaller extent around guns as well, but definitely around abortion. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Thursday Coast, DailyCoast.com, CivicsWithAQ.com, the podcast, The Brief, available wherever you get your podcasts. Marcos Melitzis, once again, thank you, buddy. Yeah, thank you so much. Four weeks, everybody, less than four weeks. We got to do it, right? We got to close this thing out. So uh, pick a state, pick a race. Everybody either has a race in their backyard or is near a race. Like in California, get yourself to Nevada. Like road trip, spend a weekend in Nevada, knocking on doors. Like there's so many ways, make phone calls, write letters to, to undecided voters. Um, there are, um, dailycoast.com backslash GOTV. We have partnered with some of the coolest GOTV operations. We don't, we don't do our own GTV. We're, we, we said these are the best operations and you will find something that you want to do. Dailycoast.com backslash G-O-T-V. Get out the vote. G-O-T-V. Thanks again, Marcos. Thank you so much.
Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. As always, perform an act of kindness on behalf of an elder or young person. Write a letter to a sister brother who just so happens to find her or himself incarcerated. Offer libations to the ancestors upon whose sturdy shoulders we all now stand. And above all, give thanks to the God of your understanding by whatever name you call her and him. All God asks of us is that we give each other love. Thanks for giving MIP love. And please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.